he's hacker. So much so that I had to ask around. I'm like, hey, I'm kind of a nice guy, right? Hacker is an ass. I try as I'm getting into my old age at 39 years old. Try not to let things bother me. Just know that I'm ultra soft. And he doesn't shy away from opinion. See Baker Mayfield throw four passes. But, uh, but I get to see this homeless guy return a ball for oh, a touchdown. It's Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Tuesday night to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, our late night show. Are you kidding me? Ladies and gentlemen of Jacksonville, Florida, let me ask you a question at 10.02 Eastern Standard Time. Where else would you rather be right now on a Tuesday night from 10 o'clock to midnight than right here with Dylan Denmark and yours truly on Hacker After Dark? And we certainly do appreciate you staying up late with us each and every Tuesday. We got a ton to get into. We got some college football. We got some NFL. We got a little NBA and even a little high school football as the landscape for high school football in the state of Florida when it comes to the postseason is going to look dramatically different beginning in 2024. Guest lineup looks like this. Coming up in less than 15 minutes, my buddy Demetrius Harvey of the Florida Times Union. We'll stop by. We'll recap Cleveland. We will preview Sunday night football against Baltimore with Demetrius Harvey. That comes up in less than 15 minutes. And later on in the 10 o'clock hour, we are past the quarter pole of the NBA season, the in-season tournament in the books. My Orlando Magic may be the biggest surprise of any NBA team. They are 16-7 and through 23 games and in second place in the Eastern Conference. So one of my NBA guys, Zach Hanshu, rotoworld.com, will stop by to look back on the first two months of the NBA season. We'll do some college ball in the 11 o'clock hour tonight. So we are absolutely jam-packed. We are glad you are with us. Every night here on Hacker After Dark, we do kick it off with a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? No big deal. It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. So last night, I made the comment when we started the show that Jaguar fans could sit back and watch their arch rival, the Tennessee Titans, just get pummeled by the Miami Dolphins. But shame on me. I forgot how much parity there is in the National Football League. Boy, that was something in South Florida last night. Miami up 14 with less than three minutes to go, up 13 rather, with less than three minutes to go, and they blow the game. Just completely blow the game. End up winning or losing 28-27. And it just goes to show you, and this is what I was talking about with Blue a little earlier. You know, you think back in the American Football Conference, really for the last... 25 years, I guess 20 years for sure. You know, Tom Brady in New England, right? Peyton Manning in Indianapolis. Ben Roethlisberger in Pittsburgh. As of late, Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City. The dominant teams. Now, did those teams go to the Super Bowl every year? No. There was an occasional upset here and there. But by and large, going into the month of December and into the playoff season in January in the AFC, you knew who was going to have a great shot to go all the way to the Super Bowl. 
Do you know that right now in the AFC? I mean, can't you imagine Baltimore doing some damage in the playoffs? I can. I can also imagine Kansas City doing some damage in the playoffs. Even after last night, I can close my eyes and envision Miami making a run. Buffalo is getting hot right now. Could they do some damage if they get in? Of course. Like Baloo said, what about Denver, right? A Super Bowl head coach and Sean Payton, a Super Bowl quarterback and Russell Wilson. Cincinnati and Cleveland backup quarterbacks, but Cincinnati's absolutely pummeled Indianapolis after beating Jacksonville. They're on a two-game winning streak. Cleveland's at eight and five. They just beat Jacksonville. Houston and Indy are still battling. Pittsburgh's right there at seven and six. And then the Jaguars sit at eight and five. Eleven teams in the AFC, seven and six or better, right now with four games to go in the regular season. It is parody at its finest. And that goes to show you with Jacksonville bringing it back local. We talked about this last night. Yeah, the loss to Cincinnati stings. The loss to Cleveland was rough. But Jacksonville's right there. It's all right in front of them at 8-5. and Right in front of them. And that brings me to the Baltimore game on Sunday night. Now, I already told you guys on the fifth quarter Sunday, and I'll repeat it every night this week, I'm not taking Jacksonville to win a high-profile game at home until they actually do. I'm going to have to be proven wrong before I pick them. I picked them to beat Kansas City, blew up in my face. I picked them to keep it close against San Francisco. Obviously, they did not. I picked them to beat Cincinnati, blew up in my face. And after Cincinnati, I said, I'm done. Will not pick them to win a home game again in a national showcase game this year until they do. And they have another opportunity on Sunday against Baltimore. But what I've found to be interesting, again, early in the week, but what I've found to be interesting so far is it seems to me a lot more people outside of Jacksonville, the national media that I've talked to, are picking Jacksonville to win against Baltimore much more than us locals are. I think there's more confidence from some national guys about Jacksonville winning Sunday night than there is amongst the locals here in Jacksonville. And what's interesting about that is many times maybe we're too close to the subject because we eat it, we live it, we breathe it every hour of every day when it comes to the Jaguars. I talked to two pretty well-respected NFL guys today, and we'll play those conversations later in the week here on Hacker After Dark who both liked Jacksonville to beat Baltimore and did not have any hesitation in saying that. They said they do not like the matchup for the Baltimore Ravens. Baltimore likes to run the ball. What's the good thing Jacksonville is right now against the on defense? They play the run well. Their defense can't stop anybody through the air, but they're still pretty good on the ground. I guess last night, to sum it all up, it just reiterated when Tennessee beat Miami in Miami on a Monday night. By the way, that was Tennessee's first road win of the year. 
And I believe that was Miami's first home loss of the year. The AFC is wide open. The AFC is more wide open this year than it probably has been in two decades. When Tom Brady and Roethlisberger and Peyton Manning and Phillip Rivers and all these guys left, well, in came Burrow and in came Watson and in came Herbert and Mahomes and Lawrence and Lamar. Well, think about the guys I just named. Burrow, out for the year. Watson, out for the year. Herbert, out for the year. It is a battle of attrition in the AFC. Parity, unlike we've seen in a long time. 11 teams battling for those seven playoff spots. It'll be a lot of fun down the stretch. And you know what? Jacksonville's right in the middle of it. They're right in the thick of it. It's all right in front of them to win a division championship, which would be two in a row, and to host a playoff game in round one of the NFL playoffs. That's the goal moving forward. Goals change. That's certainly my goal for the Jaguars. Number one seed, that's gone to me. To me, it's all about refocusing, getting some Ws, winning the division, and seeing where the chips fall in the postseason. One last thing that happened this evening, some Jaguar fans, again, I always remind myself that Twitter or social media is not real life. It is a vast minority of people. Most people listening to me right now, you probably are not on Twitter. Twitter's a garbage can. It really is, man. And I'm obsessed with it, but it it just really frustrates me from time to time when it comes to the Jaguars. So Melvin Ingram signs with Miami earlier today. Now, this is not an anti-Melvin Ingram rant. It's really an anti-Jaguar fans just want to be mad at something, so they pick Melvin Ingram today to be angry about. I think some Jaguar fans are honestly happier when they have something to complain about. Because reading some reaction to Melvin Ingram going to Miami today, you would think he's Reggie White. You would think he's Lawrence Taylor. You would think he was sitting on the throne just waiting on calls from every NFL team to come in and bless them with 10 sacks this last month of the year. Melvin Ingram is 34 years old. He has 10 sacks in the last four years. He hasn't played a football game in 11 months. And the only reason the Dolphins signed him today is because they're really beat up on their defensive line. Again, not an anti-Melvin Ingram rant, but a Jaguar fan social media rant that some of you guys just like to complain. Some of you guys, I guess, feel better when you have something to be angry about. If you're angry the Jacksonville Jaguars did not sign 34-year-old Melvin Ingram, who has not played a football game in 11 months, you're probably the same people that wanted the Jaguars to sign Justin Houston when he went to Carolina. Remember that, Denmark? Oh, Justin Houston. Why didn't we bring him in? You know what Justin Houston has done in Carolina this year? He has half a sack. Half a sack this year. You're not going to bring in 34-year-olds 
that are going to help your team on December 12th. So if you're angry that Trent Baalke and the Jaguars did not bring in Melvin Ingram, I don't have an answer for you. Get angry about something else. You're approaching the wrong argument. Do the Jaguars have a pass rush problem? Of course they do. Did I wish the Jaguars did something to address it prior to now? Of course I do. Would Melvin Ingram be the answer? Of course not. I truly believe that some of you on social media have been so beaten down by this franchise that you honestly feel better when you can complain about something or you have something to be upset about. And it's the holiday season. You really shouldn't be like that. Not getting 34-year-old Melvin Ingram 11 months on the couch coming in to play for the Dolphins should not bother you as much as I saw it was with some of you earlier today. And look, if Melvin Ingram goes in there and has, you know, five or six sacks, four sacks this month, I'll sit here and say I was wrong. But I would highly, highly doubt that that is going to happen. 641-1010 on the text line designed by Lifetime Enclosures. If you want to shoot us a text, you are more than welcome to do so. Again, talking NBA, Zach Hanshu, rotoworld.com. That comes up in about 30 minutes or so. Coming up next, Demetrius Harvey, Florida Times Union. He was up in Cleveland on Sunday. We'll react to the Browns, but more so we'll begin to turn the page and preview Sunday night football. First time in a long time coming to Jacksonville with Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. Tuesday night, Jacksonville, Florida. We're glad you're with us. Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Ravens, Sunday night as Baltimore at 10-3, and comes to visit 8-5 and five Jacksonville, the first time the Jaguars will be on Sunday night football in, what, I guess 15 years or so. It has been a long, long time. With that, we welcome in Demetrius Harvey of the Florida Times Union. He does a terrific job covering the Jacksonville Jaguars, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Demetrius, how are you, man? I'm doing all right. How about yourself? Demetrius, we're good. Thank you for the time. All right, you were up in Cleveland. Uh, Boy, I got to tell you, I'm never a positive guy. Never, ever am I a positive guy. But the negativity that this fan base has exuded in the last two games, an overtime loss to Cincinnati, and a game in which Jacksonville had no right being in based on the way they played, yet they were in the game late in the fourth quarter – Demetrius, I don't get the sense the sky is falling like a lot of the fans do. What's your thought? Yeah, I mean, I I don't think the sky is falling. And I said that last week, too. And and, and I, I think it's still true in that, you know, we, we can obviously see how talented this group can be. I mean, we've seen it before. Yeah, they don't have Christian Kirk. Yeah, they don't have Walker Little, Cam Robinson. Um, Jamal Agnew, you know, all, all of those guys are, are out, but, you know, they've been able to have success with other players. We've seen Evan Ingram have great games. We've seen Trevor Lawrence just dominate. Even last week, last week, even without Kirk for, mo- for most of the game, uh, Trevor Lawrence was on his way to have probably the best game of his career. 
Um, I think he he might have led the league or yeah led the league in passing yards that week, if not close. You know, so I I just feel like we we've seen what they are capable of. It's just a matter. It, it really comes down to executing. I mean. You, you look at what Calvin Ridley did yesterday. I'm sure we'll talk about him a little bit, but you know, just just in what he wasn't able to do in terms of execution, staying you know in communication with Trevor, making sure that uh, they're on the same page, um, getting getting yards when 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 you need them, uh, making big plays down the field uh, when your guy's trying to go and, and give you a shot to go make a play. You know, those are the things that they have to execute on. And defensively, you know, they're they're just not tackling well. They're they're not. Uh, playing in space well it seems like they're miscommunicated there as well um so you know that that's that's something that they're gonna have to clean up and and i agree with the fan base and that you know hey there's only four games left so you don't have a lot of time to actually get this stuff worked on all of that should have already taken place um so while i don't think the sky's falling i do i do think that there is some concern uh with a caveat of you know this team has shown us before that they're a pretty good a pretty good squad if if they can all play together and play play the right way Demetrius Harvey of the Florida Times Union. You know, injuries have ravaged this team, although every team is injured. I don't I don't yeah. think Cleveland wants to hear anything about injuries. They've been without Nick Chubb and Deshaun Watson and Denzel Ward and you name it, and then they figured it out. Mm-hmm. But the Jaguars, Demetrius, it's interesting. There's only a month to go in the regular season, right? Four games. Yet mm-hmm. other than Kirk, I think most of the guys that are injured are probably going to be coming back in the next couple of weeks, right? I mean – whether it's Fadakasi, mm-hmm. Campbell, Cam Robinson, Walker Little, uh, most of these guys, Agnew even, are probably mm-hmm. going to be back in there sooner rather than later. Is it a situation where it's about survival until those guys come back? Uh, a little bit, but you know, you'd like to be able to do more with what you got, even if you. I mean, just like you said, no team is going to, you know feel sorry for the Jaguars, especially not the past two teams that they played, you know, uh, Joe Burrow out in Cincinnati. Um, you know, that's, <laughs> he's a top five quarterback arguably, and, and he's out, you know, and they're playing Jake Browning who was in the second career start last week. And that, that I didn't hear them crying about it. Um, you know, that the, this most re- recent week, you know, you have Joe Flacco who was literally on his couch a few weeks ago, watching the games on TV, didn't know if he was going to have a shot, got the call from Cleveland at the last minute before he was like, Oh, I guess it's over. And he was able to come in and, and, and do okay. You know, he, he, in my opinion, he wasn't that great, but you know, he was able to lead his team to a win with the circumstances that the Jaguars were able to give him. So um, for, for, for me, you know, this Jaguars team, yeah, they're going to be getting back guys like Cam Robinson. Um, I think later, he might be one of the more iffy ones, but you know, Walker Little's going to be back. Uh, Tyson Campbell's going to be back. Trey Herndon's going to be back. Uh, I mean, all of these guys that are very pivotal to, to their success are going to come back. Um, it, it's tough with Tyson just because of the nature of his, his injury, but you know, guys like Jamal Agnew as well, you know, he's, he's eligible. I believe he just missed his fourth game and, and now he's eligible to come back and practice if, if he's healthy enough to do so. And yeah, I, I do think that those guys are going to give them an added boost. It's something that they definitely need, something that they definitely have missed. Um, but, but it really speaks volumes. If, if one guy goes out, it shouldn't collapse the entire team. It, it fully fought Akasi, 
a great guy, amazing, you know, per- perfect person in, in the locker room, has some good plays on the field. He had like 14 snaps over the last couple of weeks, you know, it, it not combined, but over, you know, cumulatively, he's he's had 14 snaps, you know, in, in consecutive weeks. And so that's not something where are you really thinking that, you know, 14 snaps for him is going to really uh, turn the table or turn the tide for the defense, you know. So I, I just really think that it all boils down to them, uh, needing to execute with what they got. Um, they have the players. We've seen all these players make plays. Um, it's not like they lost their entire team. So, so yeah, that, I think that's where I'm at with it. A couple of more for Demetrius Harvey of the Florida Times Union. Demetrius, you mentioned Calvin Ridley earlier, and I'll lump Zay Jones into this. He's not without blame. Those guys were targeted 27 times by Trevor Lawrence combined against Cleveland. They combined for nine catches. All right. I had a buddy of mine text me during the one interception uh, and he blamed Trevor for it. And I said, look, Trevor Lawrence or Calvin Ridley, who do you think has a better grasp of this offense? And when Trevor is looking at Calvin and pointing to his eyes, obviously some miscommunication there. I'm going to assume that that's more on Calvin Ridley than it is on Trevor Lawrence. What is going on with Ridley and I guess Zay to a, a, a lesser extent? And it appears the fan base, at least on social media, Demetrius has kind of turned on Calvin Ridley a little bit. Yeah, it's it's really tough, huh? I mean, you come to the season thinking, you know, Calvin Ridley is the number one guy. He's talking up himself. Um, you know, the fan base talking him up. The coaches, the you know, Trevor, everybody's making him seem like he's Megatron. You know, he's one of the greatest wide receivers to exist. And when in reality, you know, he's never been in this position in his career. Uh, he's never been that number one, a hundred percent, the number one guy on a team. He had that 2020 season where uh, Julio Jones was, you know, injured. So he was able to get in there and, 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 and he made some plays. He's a, he's an incredible uh, wide out, but it, it's a matter of, how much trust can you have in a guy who's just coming back from two years off of basically of, of NFL football? I understand he's had all training camp, all of this, blah, 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 um, you know, to get this right. But, you know, sometimes this stuff takes time. And and, and, and maybe he's not the, the guy that everybody wanted him to be. Maybe he's not that. Um, and so you have to go out there and find another guy. And, and, and I think that yesterday was a perfect example of, of when – you know, Trevor doesn't have his guy, Christian Kirk, that they're on the same page. Almost, they probably share a, a, a brain, you know, at this point in, in, in how long they play together. Um, and, you know, you have to sort of try to lean on that Calvin. You have to lean on Zay. Um, Zay's another guy that, that you mentioned, and, and he's another guy that, you know, him and Trevor have great chemistry. Um, I don't think that there was any chemistry issues with Zay and, and Trevor yesterday i think i think zay just said it. he just had a terrible game he just played he just played awful and and sometimes you know players will do that you have a three-point shooter you know he's gonna he's gonna miss some some games and and i know that that sounds like an excuse but you know from the body of work that zay has shown us uh pre-injury especially i, I think that he's shown enough to where we know that he's not um just some random practice squad guy that you threw out there um you know he's a legitimate receiver um i just think that they all have to get get together, you know, regroup and, and sort of get on the same page because, you know, with four games left, there's not much time to do it. Well, we're well over the 24-hour rule. So, I mean, look, expectations change as the season goes on. The number one seed talk is gone, and which I think is good, by the way. I wanted the bye week, but the home field advantage to me means nothing because the Jaguars are terrible at home. What good is having a home field advantage when you've gotten the crap beat out of you 
four times in your home stadium. So I wanted the first round by, but playing at home is is what it is. The Jaguars are two and four as we're talking right now. But everything is still in front of them, right? Thankfully, Indianapolis and Houston lost, and Houston might have lost more than a game. We're waiting word on Nico Collins. We're waiting word on C.J. Stroud. You could argue the Houston loss to the Jets, very similar to the Jaguar loss to the Bengals. Not only a loss in the column, but they lost a lot of guys in the process. So Jacksonville Demetrius with tiebreakers, still the overwhelming favorite to win the AFC South for a second straight year. And to me, that's clearly the goal right now. Yeah, I mean, everything's right in front of them. Uh, they can absolutely still win the AFC South. You got to think they're playing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who aren't as much of a pushover as people might want to think, in my opinion, just, just based on watching them. They seem like they have – they have they have the talent to sort of you know get them over the top in, in certain games, especially against this Jaguars team. How they're playing now, uh, but you also play the the Panthers and, and then and then you play the Titans, who you've already destroyed at home. You go in there; it's the final week of the season. It should be a win. So yeah, everything's right in front of them. Um, their schedule isn't incredibly tough. Obviously, this upcoming matchup against the Ravens is is probably going to be their most challenging matchup of the year. Um, so if they can come up for that. Uh, then, then, then everything's good, and 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 that's the funny thing. It's really a week to week league. I remember, just a, it feels like just a couple days ago, but it was a couple weeks ago when Jaguar fans, like you said, were saying number one seed, you know, this and that, and and how the Chiefs and the Dolphins aren't aren't that great this year actually, and and how you know it's going to be about the Ravens game, and it's going to come down to that for the number one seed. Now it doesn't look like that, so it doesn't really matter. You just have to win. Um, you, you really need to go ahead and, and battle it out over these next four games, the last three especially. Um, and, and I think you're right. You know, the Texans are a team that's sort of reeling. They're kind of getting their own injury bug late in the season. It's not ideal for them. Who knows about C.J. Stroud, if he'll be able to, you know, play this week. The Colts, in my opinion, are, are not as good as their record indicates. So you should count on them potentially losing at least one more game. So, yeah, you know, everything's right in front of them. I don't think the sky is falling. I think that they – you know, I I would be surprised if they didn't win the AFC South. Yeah, I would be surprised. It would be borderline a failure at this point if they yeah. don't win the AFC South. Again, final moments, Demetrius Harvey, Florida Times Union. You look at the AFC as a whole, 11 teams are 7-6 and six or better, right? Four of those teams right now are going to miss the playoffs entirely. To me, Demetrius, it's just about getting in, right? Is there a dominant team in the AFC I don't really know. I mean, I guess you say Baltimore. We're going to play them on Sunday and see where the Jaguars stand. But Baltimore, it took a 75-yard punt return in overtime to beat a middle-of-the-pack L.A. Rams team in Baltimore on Mm -hmm. Sunday. Miami is good, but they haven't beaten anybody that's any good all year. The three teams they've played have boat raced them. And then Kansas City has obvious flaws. So, to me, the AFC, for the first time in a long time, it is an absolute battle royal right now. I don't know if there's a dominant team or not. Yeah, there, there really, there really isn't. I mean, if, if you count Baltimore, that's the one. Um, yesterday, uh, just I didn't watch the game obviously, but it looked like they they were struggling against the run. It seemed like they they weren't you know connecting that well, you know, sustaining drives, things like that. And so you know, if you can catch a team like that, you know, having a semi off day, and now. You know, let me preface this. You know, Lamar Jackson still had 70 yards rushing. He saw 316 yards passing, three touchdowns, only one interception. So it's not like they were 
you know, this albatross of a team going out there against the Rams. It was just, you know, a bad day defensively, but uh, inconsistent day offensively, and, and they somehow got the win at the end. And good teams do that. And I think John Harbaugh is, is one of the best coaches, if not, you know, top three coach in the NFL right now, just, just based on, on what he's been able to accomplish. So, so yeah, it's going to be a tough challenge. Um, and, and I do think that you're right. This AFC this year is just not, I, I, I would be surprised if the AFC won the Super Bowl this season. You know, it's, it's very inconsistent. The chiefs are one game, one game away from, um, from, from losing the AFC West to the Broncos who were, you know, I think one in six at one point or something. So, you know, yeah, it, it's, it's wide open. I don't think that any team is going to run away with it in the AFC. And that's a positive for the Jaguars as inconsistent as they've been. Uh, that means that if they do get into the, pl- in, into the playoffs, they'll be able to potentially play a team on, on a bad day. Maybe, maybe it's the chiefs and they'll be able to get one over on them finally. So, so yeah, I think that this is a, uh, you know, shaping up well for the Chags if they can sort of get back on, track all right Demetrius leave us with this we've been here before right a national showcase game at home it happened in week two Kansas City the Jaguars don't score an offensive touchdown they lose it happened after the bye week San Francisco comes in here and absolutely humiliates them it happened a couple of weeks ago Monday night football when Cincinnati came in here and won they're 0 for 3 in what you would call big home games this year is there any reason to believe, is there any hope for Jaguar fans that Sunday night against Baltimore will be any different? Um, <laughs> uh, it, it's it's really tough to give any hope, it, if only because the last two performances, uh, is they just weren't there. It just wasn't good, it, 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 and it's tough to see where exactly it's going to come from. I mean, you're, you, you, might, you might be playing Blake Hans at left tackle, on Sunday, I mean, it, there, there's so much, you know, so much to learn about what what the team is going through this week in order to to sort of figure that out. But but I really do think that, you know, we've seen this team get hot and and they they've played up to the competition before. You know, the Buffalo Bills game is one that I think of in in, in week five. You know, no one gave the Jags a shot then. And even then, they—they—it's not like they were—they they were rolling, you know. It's, and it's not like the Bills were were on their downward swing. I think they were three and one. So you know, it, it's definitely a, a a a tough matchup. It's it's something that you probably would any other year probably say they would lose. But this year's been strange. I think this Jaguars team has been strange. So they've been hot and cold. And all it takes is you know a few turnovers and a couple of touchdowns from Trevor, and 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 you're good to go. So I, I, I really do think that uh, there is some hope for, for Jaguar fans. I don't think that you should just burn all of your jerseys. I saw people talking about burning Calvin Ridley jerseys. I think that's ridiculous. Um, just, just you know, hold out and, and, and have fun on Sunday. It's hard to believe there's still four games left, right? You want to talk about a marathon of a season. It <sighs> seems like we've been doing this forever, and there's still a month to go and so much to figure out before the playoffs do arrive. Demetrius Harvey of the Florida Times Union. Demetrius, I know you've been busy today, man. Thank you for taking time out, and we'll talk again soon, my friend. I appreciate you having me on. There you go, Demetrius Harvey of the Times Union. We thank him every time he joins us here on Hacker After Dark. All right, so in case you didn't know, I assume most of you are looking at this on a weekly basis, if not a daily basis. If the playoffs started today, they do not. I'm aware of that, but humor me here. If they start today. In fact, the only AFC team that's been eliminated from playoff contention is New England. Uh, And there are all sorts of rumors today about Bill Belichick. 
the decision's already been made to move on from him at the end of the year. Again, there's simply rumors at this point, but that'll be something to watch. Uh, so New England's the only AFC team that's eliminated. Tennessee, the Jets, the Raiders, and the Chargers are all 5-8. and eight. It would take a lot to get them in the conversation, but they are all still alive with four games to go. The conversation really begins with the other 11 teams. If they started today, Baltimore is your number one seed. They have a bye. They have home field throughout the AFC playoffs. Round one, seven going to the two. Indianapolis, the seven, would travel to Miami, the two. The six and the three, Pittsburgh, the six, would travel to Arrowhead to take on Kansas City, the three. And in the 5-4 matchup, Cleveland would come right here to Jacksonville in the 5-4. The seven and six teams that are on the outside looking in right now, Houston, Denver, Cincinnati, and Buffalo. But I can tell you in particular, Buffalo, Cincy, and Denver, all three of them, they are coming. They are very hot right now. They have won a lot of games, a lot of confidence. So this AFC is going to be a mad sprint to the finish. Just so you know, in the NFC, San Francisco officially last night became the first team that clinched a playoff spot. So they're in. They would be the one if the playoffs started today. Green Bay would visit Dallas in the 7-2 matchup. You would have Minnesota going to Detroit in the 6-3 matchup, and you would have Philadelphia visiting Tampa in the 5-4. Again, the crazy thing about that, Philadelphia currently 10-3, Tampa currently 6-7, but Tampa would get the home game for being a division champion. So there you go. It'll change, obviously, every time an NFL game is played. But for the here and now, Cleveland would come to Jacksonville in round one of the NFL playoffs. Coming up next, a little on the National Basketball Association. We're already a quarter of the way home. Teams are approaching 25 games already. A lot of interesting storylines. The in-season tournament. Have you seen what LeBron James at 38 years old? The guy's going to be 39 at the end of the month. He might be the best player in the league right now. He's insane. He's beating Father Time. And the biggest surprise in the NBA? Our neighbors to the south, the Orlando Magic, 16-7 and seven through 23 games. We'll talk about all of it with my buddy Zach Hanshu, rotoworld.com, covering the NBA. He's one of my NBA guys here on Hacker After Dark. A Tuesday night edition right here in Jacksonville, Florida with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. You know, so much talk about college football. We're in the heat of the NFL playoff race. But if you look on the calendar, the NBA is at the quarter pole. In fact, past the quarter pole, a lot of teams are approaching games 23, 24, and 25 of their regular season. The tournament is in the books. What a success that was for the NBA. And the Orlando Magic are maybe the biggest surprise of the entire league right now. With all that being said, 
Let me welcome in my buddy Zach Hanchu, Roto World. He does a terrific job covering the National Basketball Association, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Zach, how you doing? Morning, Ryan. I'm good, brother. How about yourself? Zach, we're good, man. Thank you for the time. And all right, the end season tournament. I thought it was weird. It was clunky. I'm not a big fan of point differential uh, as a tiebreaker. Having said all that, I think it was an overwhelming success. Zach, what was your thought on it? I think it was an absolute success. Um, you know, obviously we had a, a blowout with uh, with the Bucks and the uh, Knicks last week. Uh, but otherwise, these were really close, competitive games. Um, and the final two teams, obviously the only two undefeated teams in the Pacers and the Lakers, um, you know, they were both playing for that that win. I mean, they were both really into it. Uh, obviously, we've seen Tyrese Halliburton. Um, you know, he was he was phenomenal last season, but I think a lot of people have kind of taken notice of him on the national stage this year. Um, and the in-season tournament did a lot to uh, a lot to highlight his skills right now as one of the best point guards in basketball. Um, but then we got to see LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Davis with 40 and 20 on Saturday night uh, just absolutely obliterated the Pacers. Uh, and LeBron James, oldest player in the league, winning MVP of the tournament. Uh, clearly, he had some motivation to go out. Uh, so I think we got the perfect mix of stars. We got some young up-and-comers. We had LeBron in there. Um, it, it was a huge success. As far as the in-season tournament, obviously it's here to stay. And I got to tell you, when, when it comes to, to Adam Silver, I thought the play-in tournament to get to the playoffs was weird. I was like, why are they doing that? And I totally get it now. You know, it gives guys like me, Orlando fans, hope. I thought the in-season tournament, again, it was weird, right? But then I see it, mm -hmm. I'm like, all right, I get it. Boy, Adam Silver, I mean, for a lot of the things he's done that have been questioned at first, He's hit a couple of home runs here, I think. Yeah, I have to agree with you, man. Um, you know, the in-season, or not even just the in-season tournament, but like you said, the play-in tournament. Um, yeah, I think a lot of people kind of rolled their eyes at that one at first. Uh, but it's very interesting when you get some teams on the bubble uh, that can start to make a run that end up in that 7 through 10 spot. And all of a sudden, the team that maybe wasn't going to have a shot at the playoffs hey, what do you know? They're in, they're in the mix, uh, and they're going to make some noise. Uh, so I absolutely, uh, I like that. Uh, I think even with the in-season tournament, um, I think they have room to improve upon that in the future. Um, you know, because a $500,000 prize, that's, that's pennies to a lot of these players, uh, especially LeBron. Um, you know, maybe they can add some extra motivation. Uh, you know, I've heard talk of, hey, maybe just guarantee a playoff appearance. Uh, for whoever wins the in-season tournament. I know that's kind of taking it to the extreme, uh, but they can always add some extra incentives in here and maybe motivate these players to go even harder. Uh, but for the first one, I mean, we saw a lot of motivation out there. Zach Hanchu of Roto World covering the NBA. He's always with us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Zach, you mentioned LeBron. Time catches up on everybody, right? I remember when... Michael Jordan and Dirk Nowitzki and even Kobe Bryant. I mean, you're talking about the legends of the game, guys that, you know, you there's a list of 10 or 15 people, and they're on there, Tim Duncan. And at 38 years old, they were either retired or they clearly weren't what they were, you know, three, four, five years prior. And yet here LeBron is at 38, and you could still make the argument he is the best player in basketball. <laughs> You've covered the league for a while, man. I mean, LeBron's a freak, is he not? 
I mean, he may go down as one of the greatest, if not the greatest, athlete of all time. I mean, you you put him up there. I mean, maybe we're being hyperbolic here, but you know, you talk about some of the greatest athletes. You're talking to Muhammad Ali. You're talking to a Jesse Owens, a Babe Ruth, some of these guys that kind of transcend sports. Um, and what we're seeing from LeBron is, as you mentioned, oldest player in the league, 38. He'll be 39 here at the end of the month. Um, and it's just ridiculous. I mean, if we ended the season right now, he's first team all NBA uh, and he just won this tournament MVP. So he's, and he leads the league in fourth quarter points. Like that's, that's absolutely insane that a guy that is pushing 40 years old uh, is going out and getting more buckets in the final period of a game than some of these other young guys like a Luca, De'Aaron Fox, uh, and some of these late game scores that are much younger than him. Um, so I think by the time it's all said and done, um, yeah, he'll go down as one of the greatest. Um, and, and I heard something the other day. Uh, I like to listen to Colin Cowherd. Uh, and I heard something very interesting from him that I hadn't thought of that Michael Jordan retired at 39. That was his final season, his age 39 season. So is LeBron cognizant of that? You know, LeBron is, a, is an NBA historian. Is he keeping track of that and saying, wow, Jordan retired at 39. Jordan's final season was, you know, we could all tell he was starting to break down. And LeBron is putting the league on notice saying, hey, this is me at 39, and I still have a long time to go. It's a good point. Zach Anshu of Roto World here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Zach, we're on the Lakers. Are they a viable contender? I mean, it's early. They've already had a couple of injury problems. We'll see if Anthony Davis and LeBron can hold up for 60 more you know, regular season games. But do you think they're going to be in this thing the entire way? Yeah, I mean, you touched on it. You hit the nail on the head right there. Can they stay healthy, right? So if these guys are available, there's no reason to count the Lakers out of uh, you know title contention. Uh, they made the Western Conference Finals last season um, with an arguably worse group. I think they upgraded in the offseason. Uh, we have another season of Austin Reeves. They added some depth. Uh, they brought a few guys in that have, you know, Gabe Vincent's been banged up. Torian Prince, I think, has been good for them. Uh, as far as a three and D type of guy, Cam Reddish, uh, who hit a couple of big threes in this, uh, you know, IST final uh, that LeBron came out and said, Hey, this is one of my guys. This is somebody I have confidence in. Um, so when LeBron and AD are healthy and they have guys that can space the floor and guys that can get stops, uh, they're dangerous. Uh, and I think really on Saturday, the Pacers have just been white hot, man. Like this is the best offense in basketball. Uh, they like to run. They like to get out in transition. They like to put up points in, you know, in bunches. And the Lakers just completely shut them down. Tyrese Halliburton looked like a shell of himself in that game. Uh, and he's been ridiculous recently. Um, and the rest of these guys, um, they were neutralizing them. Uh, Anthony Davis obliterated them in the paint. Um, so I think when the Lakers are at their best defensively, uh, they're a real problem. They're going to be tough to stop. Zach Hanchu of Roto World. All right, biggest disappointments. We're going to get to the biggest surprise in a moment. I think certainly my beloved Orlando Magic topped that list. But as far as disappointments, we're a quarter of the way home. What team is maybe not living up, Zach, to what you thought coming into the year? I think we can look at a few teams. So out east, I'm not really, I'm not really too shocked by, by the top of the standings. Uh, you mentioned the Magic are great. Uh, the Pacers have been really good. I think we all kind of expected them to take that next step. And then your usual contenders, your Phillies, your Milwaukee's, your Cleveland's. Uh, but out West, man, like there's a couple of teams. The Warriors, I think, have been a huge disappointment. Um, 
you know, we're, we're getting nothing from anybody except for Steph. Uh, Steph is maybe playing at an MVP level right now. Um, and the rest of his team, Andrew Wiggins, Clay Thompson, uh, even Draymond Green to a lesser extent. These guys, they're showing their age. And, and they're, dare I say it, they're looking washed right now. Um, the, the Warriors, if the season ended right now, they wouldn't even make the play-in tournament. Um, so they've been very, very bad. Um, and the Memphis Grizzlies, man, uh, you know, no John Morant, but this is a team over the last few seasons when he's missed time, people have lauded the Grizzlies for their ability to go out and win games when he's on the sidelines. Uh, and they have been an utter train wreck this season. They're sitting at 6-15 and 15 right now. They're at the bottom of the Western Conference standings, just a couple games ahead of teams like San Antonio, tied with Portland right now. And Portland has, you know, kids and nobodies. Um, so I think those two teams are the biggest disappointments, um, just of teams that didn't really make any moves um, heading into the season. But for teams that have already made a move in the season – the Clippers, I, I can't think of a team that's been worse than the Clippers um, compared to expectations. After they traded most of their bench depth for uh, James Harden, this team has been a hard watch. Um, and they just have not seen the click quite yet. And Russell Westbrook moving back to the bench might have won him a couple games. Um, but he is really not a guy that can that can play off the bench. He needs to be out there and stay in rhythm. So th this has been tough for the Clippers for sure. Yeah, I just can't imagine why they thought trading for James Harden was a good idea. Look, at the, they get paid the big bucks, and I know that's that's their job. It's what they think about 365 days of the year. But as you know, a basketball fan, uh, I, I don't know why they thought that was going to be a good move. It certainly has not worked out. What has worked out is down the south of us here in Jacksonville, our neighbors in Orlando. Zach, it's interesting because you and I have talked now for a couple of years. You know I'm a diehard Orlando Magic fan, and nobody's paid attention to them for good reason because they've been terrible. But because they've been terrible, they've been stockpiling, whether it's Cole Anthony and Franz Wagner and Jalen Suggs and you make that trade for Wendell Carter and, and obviously Paolo and all of a sudden, these guys now, they got pretty deep roster. They're 15-7 and seven at the time you and I are speaking. And the crazy thing is, they're second in the East right now through 22 games, and they're without a lot of their guys. Carter's been hurt. Markel Fultz has been hurt. Isaac has missed time. And it hasn't seemed to matter because this team is so deep. Yeah, and, and that's the thing with the Magic is – you mentioned they are they are one of the deepest teams in basketball, and these aren't they're not necessarily names that jump off the page. This isn't a splashy roster, but then you look at the starters. You got Paolo Bancaro, forty two points the other night. You got Franz Wagner. Both of these guys averaging twenty a game. Uh, you've been missing Wendell Carter. You've been missing Markel Fultz for an extended period, and you're getting guys to step step up like a Goga Batadze, who's really showing that he's a great rim protector. Came over from Indiana. Good pickup. You got a guy like Gary Harris can space the floor and hit threes. Um, you got a Mo Wagner off the bench, Franz's older brother. He can go out and hit a three. Cole Anthony has been a walking bucket this season. Uh, he has been on fire. And then you bring in a guy like a Joe Ingles who can give you maybe, you know, 15 minutes off the bench. Jonathan Isaac, who you're only expecting to give you maybe 12 minutes when he's available. But he's a, you know, he's really giving you some good production when he's out there. Um, so, yeah, I'm really liking what Orlando's doing. Um, and the big reason they're winning, 
they're second in defensive rating in the NBA right now. Their defense has just been phenomenal, uh, and they've been able to neutralize so many different teams. I cannot – I mean, look, I, lo- I love Nick Vucevic. He was one of my favorite Orlando Magic players. It was time for him to go a couple of years ago. I cannot believe, as we get further away from that trade, how awful a trade that was for Chicago. Not only do you give up Wendell Carter, and I'm not sure Wendell Carter, when healthy, isn't as good as Vooch is now at points in their career, but you use that pick to draft Franz Wagner, who is one of the best players in the league that's 25 years or younger. Absolutely. Um, and I think you and I talked about this preseason, but uh, there was a you know anonymous poll of NBA GMs, and they said, you know, which young player are you expecting to step up their game the most? And most of them said Franz Wagner. Um, and I think we saw that over the summer at the FIBA World Cup for Germany. Uh, he absolutely came out and, and just showed what he could do. Uh, and him and Paolo, I mean, this is, this is just a phenomenal one-two punch. Uh, and if you can keep these guys around for a decade, uh, this team is going to go to the playoff. They're going to be a perennial playoff team. Um, so in regards to the Vucevic trade, yeah, uh, you know, Chicago looks like they're about ready to blow things up maybe send Zach Levine out of town and, you know, they're not winning games. Uh, Wendell Carter has been a solid addition for the magic and the magic are on the upswing big time. And Chicago is, I mean, they're in the toilet at this point. So yeah, it, it's unbelievable how much the magic won that trade. Zach Hanchu of Roto world. Zach, as we say goodbye, you and I will do this again in a couple of weeks. So we'll be closer to the deadline at that point, but we're going to blink and the trade deadline is going to be here you mentioned Zach Levine. That is the big name that you hear. Are you hearing any other names that could be on the move or teams are thinking about dealing them in the next month or two? So I think the two teams that I would be looking at uh, would be Chicago, obviously. Uh, it's time for them to blow up. Um, and, and I think the Raptors are another team that we heard a lot of rumblings in the offseason about them, maybe an OG Ananubi, maybe a Pascal Siakam. Um, you know, this is a team that really – they, they obviously they traded Fred Van Vliet, uh, but what is, um, or they let him go, excuse me, but what is, what is their path forward? You know, what are they doing right now other than competing for a, a fifth or sixth spot in the East and probably not even getting there? Um, they're, they're maybe going to languish in that uh, play in tournament spot if they can even get there. So I think they're a team uh, that's probably going to look to blow things up and maybe start fresh. Uh, so I'd be looking for them to make some moves here as well. Zach Hanshu of Roto World covering the National Basketball Association. He's one of our guys here on 1010XL. Zach, appreciate the time. Have a very happy holidays and a happy new year, and we'll talk to you in 2024, my friend. Hey, you as well, my friend. Thank you. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. 11 o'clock hour has arrived. Our late night show every Tuesday, 10 to midnight, 1010XL, 92.5 FM for Hacker After Dark. Coming up in the 11 o'clock hour, we'll talk a little college ball, transfer portal, everything going on at Florida and Florida State with Brent Beard. You see him locally on First Coast News. You heard him on my radio show for years here in Jacksonville. Uh, Brent's my guy. There's no question about that. And we'll talk a little college ball with Brent Beard in less than 10 minutes. And Justin Barney coming up at the bottom of the hour from Channel 4. Quickly, Denmark, we got about 30 seconds. Apparently, Metro and Suburban is no more. The FHSAA Board of Directors has gotten rid of that. It's only a two-year run 
for the whole Metro and Suburban deal. Yeah, I saw rumors that I was probably going to be let, let go and probably going to go back to the normal. I'm fine with it. I kind of felt like everybody else that you didn't get a true state champion, so we're going back to old school A classifications, and uh, we'll get our districts here probably within the next month or two. We'll talk with Justin Barney of Channel 4 about all that coming up in less than half an hour. Brent Beard, Justin Barney, a lot to do in the 11 o'clock hour as we roll on on a Tuesday night in Jacksonville, Florida. It's Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. It is a Tuesday evening, and we are glad you are with us. Boy, college football's regular season really ended Saturday, if you count Army-Navy, and bowl season begins this Saturday. I believe six games kick off bowl season coming up on Saturday. Of course, it will culminate with the national championship game on Monday night, January the 8th. With all that being said, I welcome in my friend Brenton Beard. You see him locally on First Coast News. You get him weekly right here on Hacker After Dark. Mr. Beard, how are you, sir? Hank, there used to be a time in December to where after Army-Navy, there really wasn't anything going on into the bowl games. But now, unfortunately, we have created this scenario to where there is uh, way too much going on. Uh, I mean, th- this week is, uh, or and maybe next week, is finals week for um, schools. We're about eight days away from the early signing period, which basically is the signing period now. And obviously the transfer portal has been going on for, for a while, uh, and it is um, uh, in need of a roster to keep up with it. So, and this is something we'll discuss later is in the in the coming weeks. But Hank, the coaches have really got to do something uh, about the schedule, and I, unfortunately, they've created some of this themselves uh, because there's just too much pressure. And we didn't really even mention starting bowl practice, did we? Yeah, I thought it was interesting. I had Bill Bender on earlier this week, Brent, from the Sporting News. I think he does a terrific job. He made a great analogy. He said with where college football is in December, recruiting, the portal, everything going on, it would be like the NFL starting free agency on wild card playoff weekend. There's just too much going on right now. Yeah, and and they've got to – the the easiest fix – and I know you've got to go through appropriate committees, but the easiest fix would be to move signing day to, uh, uh, say, uh, end of August or first week of uh, of September uh, and to get it out of the way. Uh, At that point, a lot of these kids know where they're going, and then you can have one in February um, uh, during that time too. Uh, And frankly, um, it really makes you wonder what they could do in tinkering with the uh, the dates of the portal uh, in dealing with that. But that, but, but suffice to say, um, you know, it, it it it's great for us because we have things to keep up with this time of year. But I, I don't think it's good for the game. You see Brent Beard on First Coast News. You also hear him weekly right here on Hacker After Dark. Brent, since the last time you and I talked, which was a week ago. Prince William and Mielin, Trevor Etienne, and Chris McClellan, three guys that were going to contribute next year for Florida. In fact, Yuman Mielin, I thought he was going pro. I was shocked that he's going to stay in college 
and enter the portal. McClellan was going to be a starting D lineman. ETN, we know what he can bring. They have all decided to leave Florida to look for greener pastures elsewhere. What, if anything, do you read into that? Well, it's certainly disappointing. Uh, I mean, ETN is a big-time running back who was, uh, frankly, uh, vastly underrated and, and more than anything else, vastly underutilized. Uh, this is a guy who shouldn't have had 25 touches every game, uh, but that didn't happen, uh, unfortunately. Uh, so what that means is uh, you've got guys who would have been steady influences and steady performers who are not there uh, anymore. Now, what some things that are going on again at Florida, they've hired Will Harris as their DB coach. Um, he was the Georgia Southern defense coordinator uh, at one point at Washington um, in 2021, um, and I've, I've heard good things about him, but we'll see. And by the way, <clears throat> Jerry Odom, uh, uh, the ex-Florida linebacker, is uh, the new D.C. at Western Carolina, and Pittsburgh, his name, Cade Bell, uh, is their new uh, uh, coordinator, also offensive coordinator, uh, just to catch folks up a little bit. Uh, Florida had in Penn defensive lineman Joey Slackman um, over the weekend. I mean, he's supposed to be a pretty good player. Um, so he, he was able to come in for a visit. They also got a commitment from Juco Edge, Brian Taylor, who is supposed to be good. 6'5", 270, Auburn, Georgia, Tennessee, involved. Now, I will couch this as somewhere between rumor and fact uh, because it's from a website uh, with A&M, um, and people may have missed this. Now, I understand that D.J. Lagway is going to be in this weekend uh, for a visit. I think it's an unofficial uh, but uh, there was a, uh, a Texas A&M website that said Texas A&M was going to meet uh, with um, Lagway. So I, I don't know. I'm not saying there's anything to that. I'm not saying he's changed his mind. Uh, all that tells us is other schools continue to be interested. So uh, unfortunately for Gator fans, uh, it, it – as, as it has been, it's a mixed bag, isn't it, Hack? Yeah, Brent, and the Lagway thing, we've known about A&M for a while. The proximity to his house, quite frankly, to where Texas A&M is. We know that he's been on A&M's campus several times in the Jimbo Fisher administration, and the thought was that he didn't want to run Jimbo's offense, they didn't see eye-to-eye, whatever it was. So when Jimbo got fired, the immediate thought I had was, oh, that's interesting, whoever A&M hires – one of the first calls they make will be to DJ Lagway. And it doesn't yep. surprise yep. me at all that Elko is trying to do that just simply to the proximity of where Lagway is from. But as you mentioned, the unofficial, I guess the official signing period in December is coming up in about a week's time. I'm still very confident that Lagway arrives at Florida. I'm not so confident about Xavier Filsimi, the five-star safety. I think he's about to flip to Texas. There's no doubt that Billy Napier and the Gators – are trying to hold on to this class 
but I think they are going to lose some guys over the next seven days. Yeah, and you mentioned Princely a few minutes ago. He has been he has been visiting Ole Miss uh, too. Uh, that will be interesting to see where that goes. But and, and by the way, for A and M, they have hired Colin Klein as their offensive coordinator, uh, well known in the um, uh, Big Twelve as a quarterback and also an assistant coach. So. Hank, I would say that, yes, these next eight days uh, in Gainesville are going to be very important um, to uh, uh, as far as hiring coaches, um, as far as just to get some kind of good news. Um, again, uh, we don't know if Brian Taylor can play dead in a cowboy movie, uh, but uh, he's got some good uh, numbers, obviously schools after him. Uh, so if the Gators can get something positive over the next week, it would help tremendously. You see Brent Beard on First Coast News. You also get him weekly right here on Hacker After Dark. Brent, that gets me to the transfer portal. It's unbelievable. I think I read Arizona State already has seven commitments out of the transfer portal. Yep. Arizona State played their last football game two weeks ago. And they already right, got seven new right. guys. You know, you look at Max Brown. Max Brown started a football game for the Florida Gators 17 days mm-hmm. ago against mm-hmm. Florida State. Yesterday right. he committed to Charlotte and is already going to head up there and, and participate in, in you know, conditioning for Charlotte two weeks after playing a football game at the University of Florida as the starting quarterback. So the transfer portal, I get it. I, you know, players have choices now and there's money involved and I get all that. But good heavens, when you have thousands, with a T, thousands of people entering the portal, um, it's a madhouse right now, Brent. Well, uh, to give you some quick numbers, uh, this was as of Sunday. South Carolina had 18 guys in the portal. Uh, look, uh, they have got major problems uh, as far as losing um, some of their best players, Vanderbilt has 18, Florida has 17, A&M has 16, Georgia has 13. I won't go into all of them, but you get the point. Um, there are a lot of them who are uh, in the Portland. By the way, Miami has 16, uh, and uh, Florida State has 13. So uh, that, that to kind of get folks up to date. Um, and again, we've got probably another, the portal's 30 days, and we've got another basically two weeks of it, um, and then it will calm down at that point, hopefully. But we have got uh, to uh, have this thing settle down. A lot of, it, it, look, a lot of this stuff is um, players who are, see if they can get a, uh, a better deal. Uh, let, let's just be honest about that. And, and again, uh, the unfortunate thing about this is it makes schools look bad uh, sometimes because they're losing players. But, Hank, let's be honest, uh, we've also got schools, they don't have the money the bigger schools do. Uh, and again, we've talked about this for years, but it, it's further enhancing the haves and the have-nots, right? No, it is, and and like you said, with the calendar and everything. I mean, you got teams preparing for bowl games. 
Absolutely. And you got 30 guys between Georgia and Florida State that have said, all right, I'm going in the portal. I mean, it is it is insane right now as two yeah. teams try to prepare to play each other what should be a pretty good Orange Bowl uh, yeah, matchup. no doubt. Yeah. And look, let, real quick, let's also be honest about this. Some of this is just roster management. And some of this is the head, the head coach of School X uh, is sending a, a, a certain amount of players on their way to free up some scholarships so they can bring others in. There's no doubt, and and there's that, and it's also college free agency, and it's just yeah. the way things are. And by the way, Florida uh, was not as active in the portal a year ago as many Gator fans believe they should have been. They've been awfully quiet so far now. I mean, you got Arizona State it has seven commitments out of the portal already. I see guys going different schools every day. Not one commitment for Florida yet out of the portal. We'll certainly see uh, what happens with that. Final moments here with Brent Beard. Brent, as we begin to wrap up, you are a Heisman voter. The Heisman Trophy was handed out on Saturday to LSU quarterback Jaden Daniels. You are now at liberty to give your ballot who you voted one, two, and three. How did Brent Beard's ballot look on Saturday? Yeah, <clears throat> basically similar to, to a lot of folks. Jaden Daniels uh, was number one, and then Michael Penix was number two, and Jalen Milrow was number three. So, uh, and by the way, people didn't see this. Jordan Travis ended up being number five, and Milrow ended up being number six. Um, Cody Schrader from Missouri uh, had a good enough year to where he ended up being number eight. Look, if, if you're if you're a guy who comes on strong like Schrader, and you end up being the the eighth best uh, voting for the Heisman, uh, I think that says a lot right there. So, uh, yes, we the, I, one of the problems with the Heisman, and you and I've been doing this so long, you probably remember this. We used to be able to talk about during the week before the award is announced who we voted for. Yeah, stiffarmtrophy.com. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and now we can't do that. And I'll be honest with you, I thought that gave the trophy um, and the Heisman Trust a lot of publicity. But now we sign a uh, waiver, and you know I do it because I, I take the award seriously, that we're not supposed to give out uh, who we're voting for. So... Um, uh, so I, I think basically, uh, I mean, we speculate during the week, but to me, it just was a better situation when we were able to, uh, uh, talk about, uh, who we voted for, uh, during the week. And, and I do hope eventually this is sermon on another day that we can get away from it being basically a quarterback award. Uh, you, you remember how it cycled, Hank? It was a running back award. Then it was a wide receiver award. And now it's a quarterback award. And we can't quite get away from that uh, at, at this point either. But, and, and people, did you notice this? On Friday night, ESPN had their award ceremony. And it was a very scale back compared to what we're used to. I mean, they basically did this. Um, I'll, uh, you know, a, a much lighter version of what it used to be. I mean, they've got all the the, um, uh, the a lot of the folks who were there uh, at the Heisman, but in their overall awards uh, situation, it was basically an in studio 
situation. So I, I just thought that was quite different. And the other thing is, by the time they have the award show, hey, everybody knows who won. Yeah, yeah, because it's pre-taped, obviously, and then the the awards get seeped out during the day as well. Like I knew the Bolitnikov, and I knew yeah. all those winners yeah. before they actually Absolutely. announced it there on television. You get Brent Beard on First Coast News. You get him weekly right here on Hacker After Dark. Brent, we'll get together next week before the holidays. We'll have some bowl games to review, and bowl season really begins to pick up next week. Some SEC teams will be in action. We'll talk about it next week, my friend. Thank you. Yeah, and folks need to enjoy Saturday. That's going to be another noon uh, to pass midnight. And look, I know you probably don't, people don't know all the teams, but still, if you love college football, it, it, it's a nice day to get it going. So, heck, always enjoy it, bud. Take care. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM, the high school spotlight here on Hacker After Dark as the high school football season officially came in the uh, books last week in the state championship games. Kudos to Bally Sports airing all the state title games. Really enjoyed that. Unfortunately, the three teams in our area all finished with runner-up distinctions as none of the three were able to win over in Tallahassee. Let's break it down with Justin Barney of Channel 4. He's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Justin, how we doing? Not too bad, Hack. Thanks for having me. Hey, Justin, always appreciate it, man. All right, unfortunately, 0 for 3 in the state championship games. Let's begin with the closest one. Boy, Heartbreak City for St. Augustine. Uh, they battled what essentially I was told is a Volusia County all-star team in Daytona Beach, Mainland. It's where we are now in high school football. A lot of transfers for Mainland. Uh, they're within the rules, so regardless of what you think, uh, Mainland was very good. Boy, St. Aug gave it everything, but in the end, Mainland gets it done with a last-second field goal. Yeah, great game for St. Augustine on a on a just a special teams perspective. Took the opening kickoff back 96 yards for a touchdown by Trent Jones. Uh, blocked field goal, led to a scoop and score. Um, but offensively, St. Augustine's big play offense uh, just could not get it going against Mainland. Scratched out just barely above 200 yards, less than half of the, the season average. That uh, defensive pressure really frustrated them. Uh, Mainland, 505 yards in that game, but they struggled to get 21 points. Uh, St. Augustine really, really should have won this game. They had multiple chances to win. Missed a field goal, missed a point after, uh, touchdown, dropped a touchdown pass in the end zone uh, so just so many chances in that game a couple fourth down conversions on the drive the final drive from mainland uh, so a disappointing finish for st augustine their first state championship games to, since 2007 uh, and i know brian braddock and those players really really wanted that win uh, had a chance to get that unfortunately the way the ball bounces did not happen great game by mainland to kind of keep slugging away and, and getting it done but um, St. Augustine, I've said it all throughout the year. I th think they win a state championship either this year or next. Obviously, it didn't happen this year, but they have got a lot of talent, a truckload of talent coming back. Lachlan Hewlett, the big name, Carl Jenkins Jr., I think he's in that conversation as the, the best receiver in the area, along with Jamie French in that class of 2025. So I think St. Augustine will be right back. Don't know what playoff system that will entail it in. I think Suburban Metro uh, will bite the dust at some point, maybe even this week. Uh, so St. Augustine will be back i think they win a state championship next year oh no that's very interesting all right i want to get to bradford county and to mandarin as well again justin barney of channel four we've had two years of the suburban and the metro and for people that don't know what that is you basically got your largest six counties in the state 
essentially Jacksonville, Miami, Orlando, Tampa, the surrounding area. That's the metro. The other 57-some-odd counties, suburban, and they don't play each other in the state playoffs. Justin, you believe that's going to go away beginning next year? Yeah, I think uh, I think that is is on the clock. So they'll have a discussion uh, this week at uh, in Gainesville, the Florida High School Athletic Association. Um, they've got to reclassify. The end of that cycle comes out this year, and I think uh, what is on the table right now is being proposed uh, a radical new overhaul where it would add an open division in the state playoffs. That means the top eight teams in the state would go into a uh, into a into an eight team bracket and play each other and that would be interesting you know this year that's that's along the lines of Coco Buholtz, uh, Shamadan Madonna, Aquinas um, those kind of teams would go into that open bracket I think it would create a fantastic product you know you're not beating a Chaminade you're uh, you're probably not beating an Aquinas kind of team so those teams would go in and battle it out in an eight team tournament um, at the end of the year. And, and so Mer- Metro Suburban goes away and ushered in as a new playoff system. So that'll be discussed uh, uh, earlier today and also later on this week, too. So be interesting to see what the new FHSA board. Remember, this new board is not voted on. It was appointed by Ron DeSantis. What this new board, this is the, really their first big order of business. So we'll get some insight on that uh, this week on the, how that new playoff system will look. A lot of people complained about Metro and Suburban. And if only the last two years... Obviously, those complaints were heard. Why did that system not work? You know, I, I think it's just different. They tried to do something differently, and, um, you know, you're not being able to split public-private. That's been kind of uh, uh, going on for decade upon decade. Just you're not going to split those two and uh, probably never will split those two. So um, they, they tried to, to get around that with Metro Suburban and um, take those heavyweights out and put them all in a group and, and do that together. I don't think that was as well-received as initially thought out. Um and, you know, it, it, it had its perks, had its qualities. And, you know, teams like St. Augustine and Mainland probably not going to get through and, and be able to play each other in a system that would include other guys like an Aquinas or something like that. So I do think it, it worked how it was intended to work. But I think it's going to be refined once again as the the playoff turnstile continues. Uh, we've been kind of going throughout this system since like 2015, uh, 2016, kind of messing with the playoff system every couple of years to get the best teams in. And uh, we're going to have another new system coming next year justin barney of channel four justin quickly the other two teams that lost in tallahassee last week bradford county loses to coco i knew that that stings for them coco ended their season last year they put a lot into this rematch for coco to end their season again that had to be a tough pill to swallow yeah tough one for for bradford but again you're 14 and one uh one of the best seasons in bradford history the best in terms of number of victories 14 win season um again you just did not have the offense you know as good as bradford's defense was that works until you get into a game where you're going to have to outscore some teams and they can slug in the mouth and hit you right back so um a big win for bradford no no shame in that loss i mean a big senior class there and uh again coco is what coco is i mean they're a, they're a budding dynasty ryan schneider is doing a great job down there um and again bradford just not enough offense and that defense has been one of the state's best for two years running um no shame in losing that game jamie rogers uh, the ultimate program builder getting it done uh, down in stark and they will be back different looking team next year with like a lot of graduation losses some foundational players six of its top seven tacklers uh four-year guys like jason clark uh, khalil cummings torn brazil 
Dejon Shanks, Willie Paul, all those guys will be gone next year, but a great and memorable two seasons in Stark for Jamie Rogers and the Tornadoes. Mandarin defeated Miami Columbus for a state title in 2018. You know Columbus probably had this one circled when they found out they were going to get a rematch with Mandarin five years later. Columbus gets it done for a state title last week. Tough ending for the Mustangs. Yeah, and a good season for them as well. I mean, it's only the second time Mandarin has played for a state championship. They finished 11-4. and four. Um, Offense, defense just did not click well in that game. They could not stop Miami Columbus on uh, on defense. I mean, up and down the field. Um, but Mandarin, again, Mandarin, a team like St. Augustine, bringing a ton of guys back. I mean, you're going to graduate, you know, a Tiant Weish, a running back. You're going to graduate Derek Plage. You're going to graduate uh, guys in that secondary. But you have talent coming back you have drake stubbs coming back jamel jones jamie french a lot of talent coming back for mandarin and if you can keep that that group together you know in the world we live in nowadays in high school football hack it's not always a uh, a guarantee of the team that you had this year coming back next year with transfers and everything along those lines so uh, we'll be see interesting if, uh, if mandarin can keep that group together which i think it will uh and mandarin is a team that will be right back there next year um Along with St. Augustine, I do think Mandarin has a good chance to win a state championship. Again, we don't know the system that it will be in, but I do think Mandarin is going to be right back there again next year, and uh, they're going to be right there at the end. Final moments with Justin Barney of Channel 4 here on the High School Spotlight. Justin, the football season now is in the rearview mirror. In totality, how do you assess it? Good year for the area, uh, although they did not bring home a state championship. Disappointing year. What's your thoughts? I think overall a good year. You can't win state titles every year. I'm glad the teams played for a state championship uh, this year, last year. Of course, that was not the case. Uh, the first time since 2000 that no area teams made the state championship game. Uh, last year was the first of that suburban metro split. And uh, good to see teams back in there this year. Um, I think always you got you got to build on stuff and, and everything. But anytime you can get a Duval County Public School in there, like a Mandarin, a St. John's County School in there, and, and a guy like a Bradford – in there that's a pretty successful season regardless if the state championships come or not three teams playing it out in Tallahassee for state championships so I think a, a pretty successful year even without a championship now the coaching carousel begins with the season coming to an end the last two years Justin we've had a massive turnover with retirements and dismissals and coaches going from one job to another job locally I think last year it was 16 or 17 uh, new jobs uh, at these schools we have the first big opening already this year in Sandalwood uh, with Adam Geis not returning. Uh, your thoughts on the Sandalwood job and how active do you think the coaching carousel will be here in the offseason? I don't, I don't think it'll be as active as last year. You know, last year was uh, we had 19. So, I mean, closing in on two dozen head coaching changes uh, in the offseason and, and almost a third of the area with new coaches this season um, and the ones they ended with last year. So, of course, Sandalwood is the big one. Adam Geis has been there for a little bit of time. He got his start at Paxson back in 2000, uh, went 7-3 and three in his second year there. And he went to Sandalwood in 2002 uh, in kind of in two stints. He was there for six years and then left in 08 to kind of recharge and came back in 09 and, and had been there until this season. Um, great he, great continuity for, for Adam. He had so many good seasons, uh, eight seasons with seven or more victories, uh, 21 years in all. So just a, a good tenure there. 
And, you know, that San Augustine or the Sandalwood position, I think, would have been better about 10 years ago when you had just a, an embarrassment of talent come through there. I mean, Adam has coached so many good guys, uh, NFL players, Amir Speed, Demarcus Walker, Rusty Smith, Daryl Richardson, uh, lead 11 quarterback and Jeff Sims, Chris Jones, NFL player, uh, 17 times union super 11 guys there at Sandalwood. So Maurice Wells, a 3000 yard rusher. Um, so many guys have come through there. But if you've been to a Sandalwood game in the last couple of years, it's not the same. They don't have those numbers of bodies. I, mean, I was stunned uh, when I saw them play last year and again this year with fewer bodies. You're probably talking 40 guys on the sidelines, and that's, you know, for, for the biggest school in the area, that's not a good sign when you're struggling to get those numbers of bodies out there. So I think that job would have been better about 10 years ago, but in the world we live in, uh, that is not the case. And um, somebody will go to Sandalwood and, and do a good job there, but that job is not nearly as attractive as it was when you're getting the uh, the bodies as uh, as you were getting maybe 10 years ago through there. Yeah, I remember last year we had huge openings at Bartram, at Fleming, at Oakleaf. I mean, just a lot of job openings. Atlantic Coast was another one. We'll see what happens this year. Again, remember the teams that didn't make the playoffs have been gone for like 40 days already, so they are well in to their offseason. Justin, final question. Uh, you mentioned reclassification. You know, the FHSAA, like you said, is meeting. What are we thinking for districts? Is it going to be drastically different than what we've had the last two years here locally? Well, what we've, you know, the obviously classifications will shake up districts and everything like that when you see those new numbers. But the, the another proposal in the new system is an in-season district tournament. So, you would take the top four teams in, in the district. Uh, you would seed them one through four, and they would be an in-season district tournament in weeks 10 and 11 to get a district champ. Uh, so that's another thing that is on the table. Obviously, classification numbers will be uh, divvied up by student population and everything. So we will have teams going up in district and up in, in classification. Uh, that is a given. I think we'll see some new, more creative district assignments. Um, I don't think we'll see suburban Metro back, uh, but those stay tuned for that. That'll uh, shake itself out over the next week and uh, really over the next month as, uh, as classification numbers and student population reports come out. Wow. That's really interesting. I'm looking forward to seeing when those things actually come out and how the changes do affect the game that we cover on Friday nights. Justin Barney of Channel 4. Justin, we'll do it one more time, hopefully next week, because the, the first signing period is on the horizon. I know there's a lot of local guys that we'll be putting pen to paper next week. Uh, not necessarily to break down the names as we say goodbye, but will there be a lot of guys next week putting pen to paper here locally? Absolutely. We'll have a ton of guys, a good class, but I do think our, our next year is even stronger than this one when you got guys, Jamie French, Tramel Jones, uh, Drake Stubbs, those kind of guys. But certainly we have a, a big class this year. Um, you've got Colin Hurley this year. You've got a Camden Fryer at 20 or Columbia. You've got a lot of guys coming out this year that'll sign early and, and uh, it'll be a fantastic early signing period, but uh, class of 2025, from this area's perspective, we have got a loaded class coming next year. Justin Barney of Channel 4. Justin, always appreciate it, my friend. We'll do it again next week. Take your hat. Thanks for having me. And thank you to Justin Barney of Channel 4 for joining us tonight here on the high school spotlight as high school football season in the rearview mirror. Although, like Justin said, a lot of changes are on the horizon for the 2024 season and, of course, next week. Uh, the first early signing period. So we'll have a lot of young men in our area that will sign on the dotted line to go and play college football. My big takeaway of the evening. Well, the main one that sticks out is I've talked to uh, quite a few people 
over yesterday and today and looking ahead to this Baltimore game on Sunday. And I got to tell you, there's a lot more people that are picking Jacksonville to win this game than I would have ever thought. Now, I will go ahead and tell you I am not one of them. I said on the fifth quarter, and I will say it every night this week, I'm going to have to be wrong because I will not pick Jacksonville to win a showcase home game, if you will, until they do. They have fallen on their face against Kansas City, San Francisco, and Cincinnati all here at home. So I'm done picking the Jaguars at home until they actually win a game. So I'm picking Baltimore, and I feel confident in that. But I am surprised. I've talked to a couple of national guys that cover the league, and you'll hear those conversations coming up tomorrow and Thursday night on Hacker After Dark that are both picking Jacksonville to win. Just sort of interesting to me. And the reason they did it is they like the matchup. They think the Jaguars match up well with the Baltimore Ravens. And we will certainly see what happens on Sunday. A very big game, 10-3 and Baltimore and 8-5 and Jacksonville. Well, that'll just about do it. It has been a crazy busy Tuesday night edition of Hacker After Dark. We certainly appreciate you guys hanging out with us tonight. We have a ton of people to thank. Again, Justin Barney of Channel 4 here on the High School Spotlight. Thank you to my friend Brent Beard. You see him on First Coast News. You get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark talking about the world of college football. Thank you to Zach Hanshue of Roto World covering the National Basketball Association. We're past the quarter pole already, if you can believe that. Most teams are approaching their 25th game of the regular season. And how about my beloved Orlando Magic? 16-7 and in Orlando, right now second in the Eastern Conference. It's going to be a lot of fun with that young nucleus down there. And also Demetrius Harvey of the Florida Times Union stopped by in hour number one to look back on Cleveland and certainly look ahead to this big ball game against Baltimore. Now, we will be back tomorrow night on a Wednesday, a little earlier. We're in for Baloo tomorrow night from 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock. So we'll have Hacker After Dark for you from 6 to 8 here on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker, Ryan Green. And again, Jacksonville, thank you for staying up late with us on a Tuesday right here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Tuesday night, and we will do it all over again on a Wednesday beginning at 6 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.